since we've done one of these. It has been a long time. Oh, why is that? How about we give the pain sippers an update? Welcome, everybody, to the Heartache Connoisseur Podcast. I am your host, Marty Carpenter, MD. I have today as my guest and perhaps my co-host, the lovely Shelly, here to navigate us through this meandering, wandering conversation that I will no doubt lead into the wilderness. With a few humorous stories, no doubt. <laughs> well, why has it been so long since I have done a podcast? I I did some career changing, as I've indicated in some previous episodes, but recently I sold my private practice that I had been at for, oh gosh, like 12 years or something like that. And I did a couple sort of interim part-time jobs, and I recently took a full-time job as a medical director of a behavioral health unit in the Quad Cities. So I'm in charge of a 36-bed inpatient psychiatric unit. So it's filled with people with severe mental illness, people with schizophrenia, people with bipolar disorder who are having manic episodes, severe substance abusers, people who have just attempted suicide or are contemplating suicide, etc. So that is my job. And it's been an undertaking to establish myself there. That's how I've been spending my time lately. I haven't found the free time I would have liked to do these. And also I think perhaps I just needed a little break and time to recharge internally and come up with some ideas and thoughts about how to proceed. And I've been considering what the podcast means to me and the listeners. And uh, and it just feels right to get back at it. Uh, we just had Thanksgiving. We went home to see our family on my side this time. And uh, it was a really nice time. And I've got a few days off here. So here we are. Yep. Sitting around doing a podcast. Sunday morning. And um, one of the things while we were back home that I did was I visited my mother and father. And my dad is now 94 years old. And he is really open about sort of his death and the impending end of his life and talking about the questions he has about what it will be like and soon I'll find out and I wonder about this and I wonder about that. And it's sort of fascinating to watch that. And it, it seems really healthy to me too, that the way that he's able to just sort of openly dialogue about it and have all these spiritual thoughts and questions about what the afterlife will be like and, and that sort of thing. And it got me to thinking about this whole concept of seeking and asking Asking questions, not knowing. I mean, here's a man who's 94. If anybody's going to know, it it would be him. But he doesn't know a lot of things. He's asking questions about what life will be like following his death. Perhaps even if there is one at all. How does it, how do any of us know for sure? We we can't know, and that's part of the way the system seems to be set up. There's a verse that came to mind. It's sort of the uh, the seek ye first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. Well, it struck me that, that that's just as true for this 94-year-old man as it is for a young person who's just setting out on the journey of life, that, that there's something about the seeking that's important to hold on to and to retain as a value. 
And I would contend that the seeking as an act is much more important overall than the finding out. And I think we flip that around in our minds. And the great temptation is to think, well, if I'm going to seek, I'm going to need to find something. I'm going to need something concrete and tangible, something that answers my fear and my doubt and lets me know for sure that that I think is is a mistake and leads to some problems both in spiritual pursuits and society at large. And it, it's this sort of needing to know. I must know. I must have certainty that creates a lot of trouble. And uh, Shelly, you were uh, reading a passage this morning from um, this guy named Richard Rohr that we're both fans of. He's written several books. I highly recommend anything that he's written. Um, particularly Falling Upward. It was one of my favorite books. I've read it more than once. But his last name is spelled R-O-H-R. He's a Franciscan priest, and he sends out an email every day, and Shelley's a subscriber. And she was reading one today out loud that I thought was relevant. Shelley, would you mind reading that passage? Yes, of course. Richard Ward writes, Not knowing or uncertainty is a kind of darkness that many people find unbearable. Those who demand certitude out of life will insist on it even if it doesn't fit the facts. Logic and truth have nothing to do with it. If you require certitude, you will surround yourself with your own conclusions and dismiss or ignore any evidence to the contrary. The very meaning of faith stands in stark contrast to this mindset. We have to live in exquisite, terrible humility before reality. In this space, God gives us a spirit of questing, a desire for understanding. In some ways, it is like learning to see in the dark. We can't be certain of what's in front of us, but with some time and patience, our eyes adjust and we can make the next right move. Well, I think that's exactly right. And that this desire for certitude is where I want to offer some critique of the world around me. Uh, and I see this play out, of course, and and one of the most heartbreaking places for me to observe it is in the church. And I think that it's it's sort of the need for certainty, the need for certitude, truly, that has spurred on the creation of churches themselves in many instances. And I'm not saying there's never a pure and wholesome drive to relate to God and have deeper spiritual experiences. But largely what I observe many times is that church for some, many perhaps, has become a place where we get together with people of like mind with whom we agree about most everything and we speak towards one another in a way that is reassuring to that perspective. There's another term for something like this. It's called an echo chamber. (laughs) I think that's what oftentimes really any organization, so it's not just churches, but certainly churches are guilty of this. Uh, Family units are guilty of this. Uh, Political parties are guilty of this. And when you do this, you become closed down and you, you look only for opinions that support yours, only for information that bolsters your own point of view. And it causes you to become ever more closed off over time. And it creates an us versus them mentality. It's those people that are wrong. I'm right, they're wrong. 
Well, it's like looking through a very narrow lens. And so you have this tiny little view versus panning back and seeing the panoramic view and all the other things to take in. Right. It's focusing in on a part instead of the whole. It's seeking, finding out a little bit, and then building a religion about that little thing that you just learned. And then you take a series of those little things and you create dogma, you form rules, regulations, procedures, binders filled with things that you're supposed to know and follow, and you build walls and you install a leader, and voila, you got yourself a church. Right. It's dangerous and it's alienating, and it's not in keeping with the truest nature of reality, which is that if there is, if there is, and hear me say this, if there is a good God that is infinite, then we will never know it all. We will never find out everything there is to know about God. Well, it's making God small versus stepping into the expansiveness of God. I can tell you that for me, the process of seeking has created in me a much deeper humility because many of the things that I assumed were true as a young person, I later found out didn't work anymore as I encountered ever more chaos in the world around me. And I think that when we stop the process of seeking and essentially decide on a worldview, what we're doing is we're trying to control for the chaos that surrounds us. You are going to constantly be faced with situations that challenge your presupposed notions. For example, let's say you have a racial stereotype and suddenly you find yourself in the workplace with somebody of that race for example, and you make friends. Now your stereotype has to change. You have to change your your worldview about what that means to be that particular race. And we all have many judgments, stereotypes, beliefs, lists that we're not even aware of that we have decided on subconsciously that make the world make sense to us Because without those lists, it would simply be too frightening. It would be impossible for us to hold on to our sanity. So in a way, it's a normal developmental step that has to be unraveled gradually over time. It's not to condemn anyone who has rigid beliefs, ideas, or a worldview that needs altering. It's to say you have to move into the seeking mentality if you want to grow, if you want to become better, if you want to become more creative, more thoughtful, more open, more humble, and more like the God that I believe exists. I think seeking has made me more compassionate. Tell me about that. Well, because when you seek, not necessarily to be right, but to just be curious, to get to know the depths of God and how he really desires us and the connection amongst us all, you pan back. So when you hone in, you think there's just one right answer, one right way to be. And then you pan back and you see how everything actually is interrelated and how things are a lot more complicated and have greater depth than we ever thought. It's not, it's not so simple as the Jews or the Christians or whatever, pick whatever religious organization or sector you'd want to say is right. There's all these overlays and there's a lot of more similarities than differences. And you recognize part of yourself within someone else if you're open to that, if you're seeking. And so when you can pay him back, 
and see how we all kind of interrelate and are connected and how God is overlaid over everything. It just makes, I don't know, I found it's increased my compassion. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happens, is that you do begin to put yourself in the shoes of others and see the world through their eyes. It certainly happened to me in my work, and I'll touch on that in a minute. I wanted to read this quote, this by one of my favorite songwriters, one of my favorite bands, uh, Wilco. I've listened to many of their albums uh, a lot of times over the years, and uh, Jeff Tweedy is their principal songwriter and uh, lyricist, and he has a, a solo album called Warm, and there's a track called Let's Go Rain, and the line is, once upon a time, I was a Christian. I didn't know. I didn't need to know. And so in his mind, what he's saying is that in the past, when he had called himself a Christian, that was coming from a place of thinking he needed to know, thinking he needed to have the answers. And I'm not saying being a Christian is necessarily a bad idea. However, anytime you slap a label on yourself, you put yourself at risk. When you say, I am this, there's a fundamental limitation that goes along with that. Well, what about what about the spiritual works from the Far East? Mm-hmm. What about the spiritual works from the continent of India? What, what, what about the philosophers, of the writers of the great secular books? What about all those people? Do we just trash all that? Is that well, what we do? That's what people tend to do. Either or versus both and. And Richard Ward talks about that a lot. I think there's a beauty in nuance. And seeking means that you can hold nuance. You don't have to have an answer. And because of that, you take in just this richness. If you go with an air of curiosity, I think you open up, like you open up your mind to considering different things. And it's like a roadmap. And if you go in with a dualistic, have to find an answer, it's like you only have one route. And that gets boring and it's simple and it might be direct. But what about the winding country road where you get to see the beautiful scenery? It's a much richer experience and enjoyable. And I think that's part of it too is when you go in looking for an answer, when you're seeking for that answer, you miss the present moment. It's all about the goal versus the present moment experience, which is always much, much richer and full of surprises and delights. Well said. And I think about how this plays out for me in my work as a psychiatrist. One of the things that we're trained to do as a psychiatrist is make a diagnosis, assign a label, essentially choose to be dualistic. And the system is rigged that direction. So we need diagnostic codes so that we can bill insurance and we need to have specific labels for conditions so that we can communicate with other clinicians. And so in a way, it serves a purpose. Mm -hmm. It's a shorthand way of talking about people that conveys certain amounts of information, but it's very limited in what it's able to convey. And when you become too given over to that way of practicing medicine, really you stop hearing people. You make a decision and from that point on, anything that anybody says becomes irrelevant because you already have the diagnosis in mind and you don't need more information. But the truth is, and I've seen this over the years, is that sometimes 
the diagnosis changes and people change and they grow out of certain labels or maybe they inexplicably stop having the symptoms that caused you to give them that diagnosis in the first place and you're left wondering about your whole system of nomenclature and whether it has any validity at all. That's definitely been part of my experience as a psychiatrist. And so a good doctor or a good anything takes the dogma of their field, their profession, and holds it very loosely and uses it only when it serves the best purposes of the patient and not when it serves the interests of the doctor getting done quickly, communicating quickly, um, moving on, forgetting, not slowing down, not connecting with someone. That's, that's what you can do. That's an ab abuse of, of the system of diagnosis in medicine, especially in psychiatry. This is particularly true. But we do this with our faith. We abuse our faith. We use it to make ourselves feel safe, and comfortable and to exclude others. We use it to think that we know we're okay and stop asking really difficult questions about where we need to grow, where we need to move into a deeper maturity, and where we need to let go of judgments, both of ourselves and others. And the great irony is that it's the judgments of ourselves that cause us to project outward the labels onto other things. The judgments that we have towards ourselves that go unrecognized become projections onto others. And so it's unfinished internal work. It all stems from fear. It all stems from fear of being honest with oneself about areas of wounding, damage, anxiety. And those, those types of things then get those anxieties, those fears then get projected onto society and we start labeling entire groups of people. And, and that's where you see the divisions that we have in society. So as we're in these political seasons, I look with a great deal of sadness at the process. And it's as if one side thinks that if their side had complete control over everything, then the world would be fixed. That's that's the view that people tend to have. And I know from my work and from my life experience that the way the world is ever going to get better is only when people do internal work. 100% agree. The only way that anybody ever makes meaningful change is to, to delve deep inside of their own soul, face their inner demons, and find new areas of peace and resolution to past wounding. And then what happens when, when you do find peace and resolution to old wounds is that you begin to make different decisions. Now, all of a sudden, maybe you are volunteering at that homeless shelter. Maybe now you are taking that mission trip and working for clean water in a third world country. Now, maybe you are as Gandhi would have said, being the change that you want to see in the world. And it doesn't have anything to do with your politics no. or who you voted for. It has everything to do with doing inner work. It's about doing just what you feel called to do is right from an internal stance of compassion and love for general humanity. And I'm convinced 100% that if everyone did that, 
we would suddenly find ourselves with the world that we wanted. Well, the problem is when you say, oh, it's those Democrats or those Republicans, whenever you shine the light elsewhere, you're missing the opportunity to actually affect change because that's putting change on someone else. It's someone else's responsibility. If only they would believe differently, then the world would be right. You can't force other people to change. It only starts internally with you. That's what I want to see a candidate get up there and say, elect me if you want, but this isn't getting any better until you people get healthy. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> men. I would vote for <laughs> that's that That's my person. kind of politics. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That person will never run. And that's, again, the system is rigged because the system elevates people who are fundamentally egocentric. And who are dualistic. No, yes, the exactly. The system supports that. You, you can't succeed unless you embrace black and white, dualistic, judgmental thinking. Dear God, help us. And that's why you should just... I will just, never run for president. <laughs> just retreat into nature. Get yourself a hut. You know, go live on the side of a hill. No, but that does I mean, that doesn't work either. You've got to participate and, and really do things that bring value to people's lives around you and make yourself useful. And uh, that, that is what I want my politics to be, is just making myself useful and not worrying too much about what anybody else's politics are. So seeking, seeking to know with less concern about finding out the right answers and more concern about the process of growth with an openness to change and recognition that the mysteries are never going to end. When you find out one thing, it's going to get upended and twisted and expanded upon and flipped on its head. And that's the fun of all of this. Yeah, how much more is interesting is life from that perspective? That That's what I want my faith to look like, is constant evolution towards deeper and wider understandings of the divine. Well, thank you for joining me today, Shelley. I appreciate your help in sorting through these uh, concepts and... Uh, Thanks for going home with. It. Thanks for going home with me and and uh, spending time with my family. I hope that was okay I for you. It. Yes, <laughs> they're a lovely group of people. Yes, very they are. welcoming. So welcoming. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Merry Christmas. It's on its way. Whatever holiday you celebrate, uh, wherever you are in the world, uh, thanks for tuning in to the Heartache Connoisseur Podcast. We'll see you next time. Hits me when no feet have been Oh yonder I go